Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is a Moonsault Media production and is intended for private use only. For more information, contact retromaniapodcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network presents Catching Up. This is a special episode. I'm here joined with the man who has, uh, you know, been with me on the ride since we've started this Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, Dave Rosenbluth. Dave Rosenbluth, the man from Kicking Out at Two. Uh, how you doing, Dave? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to uh, this subject and what we're going to discuss. Uh, deviating from the norm when it comes to the the uh, the format on, on on our catching up. Uh, concept as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, so I'm looking forward to taking a deep dive into uh, what will be the 20th anniversary next year of the Ruthless Aggression Era in WWE. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to discussing, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the season, season two from uh, Peacock, WWE Network, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so, uh, let, you know, let, let, let's dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's suiting because it's uh, it's coming up on the 20th anniversary, like you said. 2002 is a big change, and we had just recently talked about it on the last episode of uh, Catching Up and the prior one before that about how the 20th anniversary of Ring of Honor had spawned upon us. And, uh, you know, Ring of Honor has taken a different direction and uh, reevaluating some things. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, so this is this is possibly the last episode of catching up that you'll have for uh, some, the foreseeable future. Um, we're we're going to take a different direction in Retromania. Um, we get we want to give you guys content that is retro because that's what we are. Um, we love talking uh, modern day wrestling, but it's a lot to keep up with now, and we're enjoying it as much as we can. Try to watch it. Uh, Dave and I have lives of our own, children of our own, and uh, you know, busy work life, um, and this is our hobby. So we try to do the best for you. So the best way to enjoy the content and give you more content is to throw it back. So um, that being said, we're going to be launching a new uh, series. Dave, do uh, you want to explain to people what's going on with Kicking Out at Two and the the theme for the following year in 2022? So what I'm hoping to do, and like many of you that have listened, know my current situation with my studio setup, and it's been out of commission since around Labor Day, and it's still the case. Um, it, it, it's almost future endeavored at this point. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. But hopefully, um, before the new year, you know, my studio setup will be complete and I'll be able to, you know, be back up and running and recording. What I would like to do, and I talked with you, Kobe, about this, um, I, I mentioned it before, I want to cover 1997 on uh, Kicking Out of Two. And so what I planned to do was I picked random episodes of Raw and Nitro that myself and you, Kobe, and other guest co-hosts that will be joining me 
uh, we'll, we'll do watch-alongs of those episodes of Monday Night Raw and Nitro from 1997. Reflect back on our memories watching them. If we have never watched them before, we're watching for the very first time, and discuss the, the, the current events that were taking place during that time period in 1997. Which is now, coming up uh, on the 25th anniversary, right? Exactly. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, 25th anniversary of 1997, the silver anniversary, which was a very big year. Some it say the probably, best year in wrestling. Yeah, you could make an argument that '97 was the best year in wrestling. There was a, it was a huge turning point. You know, it, I, I, you were starting to see the ta- they were setting the table for what was to come for the next several years in in wrestling, not only just in WWF but just the landscape in general. And so, you know, we're gonna on kicking out of two. We're gonna cover Raw and Nitro, do them in watch along form because they're roughly you know an hour and a half or so um, of episodes. Now. From time to time, certain special occasions, we're going to, you know, not cover some things that are from 1997. Like, for instance, in the month of January, I want to do a watch-along of the 1992 Royal Rumble match with Ric Flair, which will be approaching the 30th anniversary of that, which is the greatest Royal Rumble match in my very opinion. So I'm hoping to do that as well. And some other different, you know, m- you know, hallmark landscape-type moments that took place outside of 1997. But for the most part... 95% of Kicking On The 2's content is going to be taking place from 1997. Now, to bounce off of 1997, we're going to be relaunching Season 2 of Marking Out The Days. But it's not going to be Marking Out The Days Weekend Warriors. It's going to be Marking Out The Days Extreme Watch Alongs. We're going to watch episodes of ECW. and For me, this will probably be the very first time that I've watched 1997 ECW in this form. Uh, Kobe and myself are going. It's going to be like a sister type, you know, format where we're going to be. We're going to. How would you like to? We're going to compliment each other, exactly. if you will, between kicking out of two and marking out the days. And Kobe and myself will watch all ECW from 1997. Those are about 45 minutes, so that's just enough to digest when you listen to us instead of rambling on for two and a half, three hours with the pay per view. Watch longs because I know that can be tough, but um, we're going to cover all things 1997 on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That's the theme this year between kicking out of two and marking out the days, season two, extreme watch along. So, really looking forward to that. Like I said, hopefully, with my studio situation, I'm up and running by the new year. But in the meantime, if not, I'm, we're still going to, Kobe and I are still going to uh, record extreme watch alongs. ECW marking out the days season two. So uh, yeah. be on the lookout for that in the new year. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's so interesting how things have come full circle for the network because the original start of uh, Retromania started with Jimmy and I covering the origin of attitude, which was uh, a buildup from 96 and then mainly covering 1997. But the feud consisted with, uh, you know, Brett and Sean and Vince and, Austin. So we didn't cover all aspects of 1997, but we did cover uh, a good part leading up to the Montreal Screwjob in our first season, Origin of Attitude. Uh, so that actually took place 
five years ago when Jimmy and I started that. So now, uh, you know, the 25th anniversary, you're going to be covering more insightful about the war, you know, the, the attitude era getting into it, you know, um, and uh, we have everything there in the archive. So everybody can dive in season one, you know, all the episodes there. You go to our our website on Podbean and it's uh, pretty organized now. Uh, we're, we're getting everything as far as like our shows organized in season. So uh, you can follow along better in the archive um so this is going to be fitting right in and you and i covered 1992 and um in the first season of marking out the days which is coming up on a 30 year anniversary so that that's really cool um you know it's it's it it's it's really sweet that people can go back in the archive now and uh you know listen to those episodes uh as they come on 30th 30 years in the you know from the past. Um, so yeah, and they're all evergreen. So you guys can always find those podcasts on Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching any podcasting app, Retromania with a W. Um, and you can find us on Facebook and join the group there. There's a group button for the Retromania Podcast Squad. And you can uh, directly contact us, you know, have requests. And I think we'll be more interactive with this year coming up as Dave and I present to you the new Marking Out the Day Season 2, uh, covering the 1997 year of ECW. Um, that's called uh, Extreme Watchalongs. So, yeah, um, looking forward to that a lot, Dave. Uh, you know, everything is, is coming full circle, like you said. And speaking of full circle, it kind of feels that 2002 coming up, you know, Ruthless Aggression. Season 1 had dropped last year, um, which I think they could have held out and maybe tightened that one up because it was a loose abbreviation of everything that we're kind of covering for this one. But uh, mm-hmm. Season 2 was really good overall, I think. What were, what were your thoughts? I enjoyed Season 2 going back and watching it overall. Um I, I, I was kind of comparing how I felt about that era of wrestling then as opposed to now, and I really feel like that it's a, an underrated era in wrestling. I now, remember. L- let me pause you real quick. Now, okay. because a lot of people like myself around this time and around 2001, I kind of became lapsed as a wrestling fan. Uh, yeah. I, be- I became a little more busy, and because of the dissolve of WCW, the lack of competition, um, I mean, the spawn of TNA and ROH and all these other things didn't happen until a little bit later, and even then it was hard roads for them. Uh, I mean, how were you around this time? I, I still watched, but, you know, I could I could see a noticeable change um, in, in, in the wrestling community. You know, I felt I definitely felt a change as we were watching. Oh, and there was a, they were throwing a lot at us. You know, mm-hmm. from 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 the end of from the purchase of WCW up until I would say, you know, the probably I'd say WrestleMania time in two thousand and two. There was a lot of change going on, and then it just really like. It, it was like overload following that WrestleMania with the debut of Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, Batista, um, John Cena. Eventually, you would see you know those those four names that came out of that OVW class. We'll talk about that on the OV as far as the OVW episode goes. But there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of change going on. And I I don't know maybe it's just me as a fan, but like and and how I view things. But I was kind of looking for some finality to the previous era. 
And mm. I felt like from the purchase of WCW in 2001 to around WrestleMania time, we didn't get a lot of that when it came to the stories. You know, like the, we had the purchase of WCW and the Alliance. Yeah. But the Alliance, in hindsight, was a joke. Okay. That Alliance invasion storyline was a joke. And then they were kind of in a holding pattern up until the debut of the NWO when Hall and Nash and Hogan came back. And I was like, oh, wow, like this will definitely, like, sh- you know, shoot you know some some creativity into the product you know what i mean the nwo and the wwf like, think again pal this is think cool. again we, pal we, we we got hogan and rock which was which was a, a a classic you know that that none of us expected we would see but then after that it just kind of like fizzled and then we had the draft and the draft i felt like i felt like that first draft like was very like i don't know i just I, I, I've i never I felt like since 2002 when it came to the brand extension and splitting the, the rosters that there's never been any individuality in each show I th- they've always I feel been the like, same with the exception of one's red and one's blue well yeah I feel like if I can just say it as Vince it's like I stopped giving a fuck after yeah. I bought my competition I stopped giving a fuck uh <laughs> And he left I mean, it up to other, and he left it up to other people and the personnel involved, and then would have the final say. And it, yeah. it just it just got too, yeah. It just lost sight, man. There was so much there was so much sight in WWF and it turning into WWE, you know, up to this point, uh, even to the purchase. Like you know, there was some really good stuff, and then once that purchase happened, it was like. Whew, Way too much, too big, yeah. too big, too much, too at, all at once. You know. But the one, the the one overall thing that I take away from the ruthless aggression era after watching season two, especially, was the fact that twenty, you know, we're going on twenty years. Twenty years ago, they really set the table for what the building blocks of WWE was going to become. Like I said, with names like Randy Orton, John Cena, Batista, even Brock Lesnar to a certain degree. Concepts like Elimination Chamber, Money in the Bank. You know, things that are household names in today's current WWE. Randy Orton's still a full-time guy. John Cena and Brock, they make sporadic appearances. Batista's retired. But for the most part, like, those are things that were, were born in the ruthless aggression era. And 20 years ago, they were trying a lot of new things. And... Which nowadays, you can't say that they, they not only are they, are they building new stars. I mean, I don't know. You could make an argument that they are, mm-hmm. but they still go to the well for some mm-hmm. nostalgia every once in a while. And if they are building new stars, there's probably maybe, you can count on like one hand, one the amount of guys. Finger. That, uh, huh? One finger. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, now Roman. I know. I mean, you, you make an argument for Drew and Big E, but, like, those are your three right there. That's it. So Currently. And then as far as the women go, you got Charlotte and Becky. That's it. Yeah, so, so let, let's quickly go through. Season one, it was it's time to shake things up. You know, it's talking about the, the brand extension and going into everything and, you know, hiring yeah. all these new people and changing management. Uh, episode two for season one was Enter John Cena. Then yep. uh, season uh, season one, episode three was evolution and talking about the, you know, bringing in Randy Orton and Batista into the group with Triple H and, uh, you know, reviving Ric Flair's uh, career. Then yep. season one, episode four is the next big thing. Brock Lesnar. Um, 
Then season one, episode five, is the Civil War with the brand extension, the draft, Raw versus SmackDown. Uh, so a good way there. I mean, like you said, at coming out of that first season, the the names that are from this, John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, and Brock Lesnar, those are all household names. I could name those to a common fan, and they would all know who those people are. Four, exactly. out, four out of five people. Four out of five people, you know? Um, nowadays, you cannot really name a wrestler after this era. Uh, you know, Roman. Maybe even Roman Reigns, but I, yeah, I, I had to explain I, I who he Roman was. Probably the only, but once I'm sorry, one, I had to explain who he was. But every time I've explained who he was, the female or you know the male is kind of like intrigued. But the female that I tell, they're like, "Ooh, he's he's hot. He's sexy." So. Yeah, it works for him. Yeah, I mean, um, he's got a his his presentation and his his relationship with the fan base has been you know very complex. So over I, the last over the last seven or eight years. So I mean, let's you know let, let, let's call a spade a spade here. But Roman, at the same time, they have built him up into a household name, okay. and that's probably the only that's probably the only consistency they have when it comes to creating new stars well i i dare to say wwe i dare to say i've just i've just rethought it the miz um people know who he is he's been on television yeah uh he he is make an argument there uh you know despite what the wrestling community wants to say the miz is a well-known known like face throughout the community of entertainment um, yeah. And we'll get into that as we cover this season two. So let's get into season uh, two, episode one, Hollywood Rock. Dave? You want to go first? No, like Dave. Da- no, Dave, you, you, you take us on the ride here. Okay. All right. Um, I I mean, I enjoyed season two overall. I think it was better than season one. Absolutely. I think we really got the meat. I think we really got the meat and potatoes of what the ruthless aggression era was all about. Mm-hmm. And like every episode was a very, if you go back and you think ruthless aggression era of WWE, every episode of season two is, is definitely like, Oh yeah, that was, that came, you know what I mean? Like you can, you, you can identify it with the ruthless aggression era. They were memorable moments. They were, they were, there were long lasting moments of that era. And one of them was, was Hollywood rock, which I felt was, was short lived and underrated. Because the, the the Rock's popularity at the time, like, it, it overpeaked. You know, he was huge. And then when he, you know, got bigger than WWE and went to movies, I think a part of, I think the wrestling, I think the wrestling fans, yeah, they were upset that he was going away. And then he'd come back and do a little here and there, but then he'd go away again. I think that goes along with the change that wrestling fans were seeing and mainly WWE fans in the products because we were seeing so much change from WWE. Not only just the name, but like we mentioned earlier, the new stars like the Cena's and the Orton's and the Brock's and the Batista's and and the, the, the whole Austin wasn't even a full time guy anymore. Austin walked out on the company during that era, which which I'm surprised wasn't an episode in either season one or two. They had briefly they, they, they had briefly talked because, about it in season one. Yeah, it was briefly discussed, but I thought that that would have been a focal point because if you think about it, well, had Austin not walked out on the company, 
what would have the landscape been like? Would we have seen the John Cena's and the Brock's and the Randy Orton's excel to the levels that they did during that time period? That's a good would, question because, you, you know, know, they they have a but, lot to milk out of this. I mean, as much as they did with the origin attitude, that's, uh, I mean, the origin... <laughs> The Attitude Era, I'm sorry. As much as they milked out of that, that's why they've moved on to this Ruthless Aggression Era. But they've they found ways and good production and stories. Uh, so yeah. uh, like, likely there could be a season three, you know? Yeah, I, 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 could see, I could see a season three or I could see something where it's a standalone one hour, 45 minute type documentary of with Austin Stone Cold, you know. With Stone yeah. Cold being like, you know, got uh, I didn't see the I didn't see where it was going. The rounding was substantial, Barry. Yeah, I'd say it's piss poor, but <laughs> but um, it, it, let's get but let's get yeah. back on track here with when it comes to Hollywood Rock. I thought that was an underrated character. I really did, and so the fans saw some change in the product. They saw that Rock was not as full time anymore. These new stars, you know, the Rock was as popular as anyone, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously a household name, you know, a blind guy could tell you who the rock was. So, um, the fans turning on him and him embracing it, a blind, oh, wait, wait a second. Point. A blind guy could smell you what the rock was. There you go. Oh, Look at that. Yeah. I just had to squeeze sorry, that sorry. one corny joke in there. You've been, <laughs> you've been working on your dad jokes there, haven't you? There, pal? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah a blind, go ahead. A blind guy but could yeah. tell you who the rock is. <laughs> Smell you what the rock is. You done? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Rock, um, he embraced it, and to the point where he embraced it so much that he was so good at them hating that at the people hating him that they ended up liking him. You know, again, mm -hmm. like it was, it was, it was. He was so good at being a bad guy. He was like, damn, he was, he was too funny. You know what I mean? He was way too funny. But I thought it was a short-lived experiment that I think I would have liked to have seen gone longer. And to be perfectly honest with you, if his public image wasn't so positive nowadays, and rest, and uh, he might be able to get away if he were to ever come back into, into wrestling for a one-off as a heel. You know, mm -hmm. movie star rock. Coming in and taking someone's place, you know what I mean? Maybe right. working a Drew McIntyre. Or maybe even working a Brock Lesnar, you know? Like, I think he could get away with it, but mm -hmm. at the same time, is that like I said, his image? You know, nowadays he's so very positive and all about taking care of people and you know, love and peace and happiness. That like he's it might, it might not work, but anyways, the, the the heel persona I really enjoyed it. I liked the episode. I liked that they touched on it because it was also very important for his character to go through that and stick with the times and transition into the next phase, you know? Yeah. That run was short. He worked with Austin, which was Austin's last match, which in my opinion, even though Austin was banged up and hurt going into that match, that was a damn good match. It wasn't oh, yeah. the best, but it was a damn good match. Psychology and, was there. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and then you know, I had that run with Goldberg, um, even the, the, the match with Hogan, when in Montreal, when Vince screwed Hogan, so I, I wish that the that the run as the heel in the Hollywood version would have gone a little bit longer. But he's so damn good at people hating him that they ended up loving him anyway. So I could understand why they kind of went back to 
what they did with him. Although I didn't understand why they 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 threw in the the rock and sock reference when he reunited with Foley against Evolution at WrestleMania 20 because he really wasn't Hollywood heel rock at that point. He was just a rock. Like, yeah. So you want to nit? I mean, I'm going to nitpick and here that, just that, for a moment. That was a but, little bit after the that was at the tail end of the ruthless aggression era because you know. Uh, uh, I mean, Chris Benoit didn't kill his family yet, but it was close. That was 2004, so you had a, you had a few years. Okay, he was yeah yeah, but still, nonetheless, uh, a, a very underrated time period. Oh, and I forgot too, he put over the Hurricane. Yeah, who was a who was a who was a mid Carter that you know at at best. I always loved that. That was a great well, yeah. thing. You know, Brian Gewertz was a big part of the documentary too. Talking about yes. the work that he did with The Rock, and uh, they're writing. With all te- of them. They're with all ri- those guys. Oh yeah, but they're writing. He was te- the head writer for a while. Yeah, but the the writing uh, combination between The Rock and Gewertz is what you know has spawned a lot of The Rock's uh, talents now, and his you know uh, what got him over to begin with. And The Rock really got over by being a heel first. You know, nobody liked Rocky. It was Rocky sucks, Rocky sucks, and then he joined the nation and embraced that heel mode and talked in third person, and, you know, it, it just became something inevitable where, like you said, everybody liked him. But then when he comes back, it's like, is it going to be the same old thing? And no, he flipped it on us. And I remember watching that live when he returned, and I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And that's when I, like, really was like, I understood, you know, wrestling psychology. I was like, he is amazing. But yeah. like you said, it was den- it was undeniable. You couldn't hate him that much. But he, he yeah, was... Yeah, I mean, he was so funny. Like, for instance, my favorite... Not to cut you off, but no, my, go favorite, ahead. my favorite moment from his run as the Hollywood heel was not the stuff he did with Hurricane, although that stuff was funny, but when he did that rock concert in Sacramento... Oh, yeah. And he played that song, Kansas City, but he turned it into Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 the line at the end was like, and I'll be sure to come back when the Lakers beat the Kings in May. And the whole place lost it. Yeah, it's and cheap he, heat, and, but he did it so good. He put some oh, razzle, yeah. he put some razzle dazzle on it, pal. And then I don't know if you remember, but that that episode of Raw, that was the, the go home before WrestleMania when he wrestled Austin. And he had that little like side beef with the hurricane, and the 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 story in that that episode of Raw was Austin was banned from the building so that he couldn't spoil the Rock concert because Rock had a feeling that Austin was going to spoil the concert. Hey, whoa, so whoa, 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 whoa! You know how the Rock did? Yeah. <laughs> and so Bischoff had Austin banned from the building. But Austin's music plays, and the pickup truck comes out. And coming out of the pickup truck is the Hurricane, and the Rock. He he says to the he says arrest that man. He's guilty for sticking chicken McNuggets straight up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I I remember watching that back a couple of years ago on YouTube, and I was rewinding it because the line was just so funny. Like you could even see like in Hurricane's face, like he could he couldn't help but but break out and laugh and actually a couple of years ago when i i saw him we were hanging out i had uh i had reminded him about that and he was like go look for it. so we looked for it on youtube and he was cracking up because he even remember then he totally forgot that he was even part of that segment yeah and 
he was like, he was like, I don't even remember this. And then when I said, Oh yeah, well you remember the part about the chicken McNuggets? And when he when he heard the line, he started laughing. He says, Now I remember. And he's like, I could. He goes, I couldn't keep a straight face. They had to cut the camera away from me because oh, yeah. the, the the cops were arresting him. He was walking out. It was it was fucking hilarious. But a, a underrated part of the Rock's career that I don't think really. It's just, it's so short that it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. But I was glad that they they folk they focused on that um, on this on the first episode of season two because I thought it was very well done. Yeah, they were they were having fun with it. I really like the one segment that The Rock did with um, the Hurricane Two, where the Hurricane uh, does the swooshing like leave scene, and yeah. the, the Rock goes to look up. I remember watching that live and cracking up. Um, yeah. What a great time. They were just really embracing the goofiness. A lot of the way, you know, AEW and WWE does now, but WWE does it to, like, I don't know. It seems like even even more childish than what, you know, it was goofy for us at the time, you know, even yeah. being teenagers. But if I were a teenager now, I'd be like, no, that was, that was crazy. But now even watching <laughs> it as an adult, I'm like, oh, that was funny with The Rock and The Hurricane. That was great. You can appreciate that sort of thing when you're older, but when you're younger, it's like, ah, oh, it's stupid. Right. You know? Um, moving on, season two, episode two of Ruthless Aggression, Innovations. Yeah, Innovations covered um, match concepts and new new um, elements to the programming. The a couple of the things that they really focused on was um, – you know, Eric Bischoff at this time was introduced to WWE programming, which nobody saw coming. And he was hired on screen as the general manager of Monday Night Raw by Vince McMahon. It was, you know, one of the most iconic moments in Monday Night Raw history. Nobody ever saw it coming. And so they focused on Bischoff. Um, they they kind of the way that they, they, they narrated it and depicted it was that Bischoff kind of played a part in um in creating the raw roulette, but at the same time, they also went back to Bischoff as an executive in WCW and how he um, brought new innovative concepts to Nitro and then just kind of blended it together. It was just so, spin the wheel, make a deal, rehash. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But you know, they, they kind of harken back to Bischoff's time, you know, when he helped build Nitro with the cruiserweights and you know, the, 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 the blend of variety. Um, on the programming that I've always talked about as, as being, you know, a, a, a key component to wrestling, having a variety yeah. on your show. Yeah. But um, they focused a lot on the Raw Roulette, and, you know, there were some things that came out of that Raw Roulette, like Kane winning the tag team titles by himself in the TLC match, um, you know, against, you know, RVD and Jericho. And, and that was Dudley. the first one yeah. on Raw. Right. Yes, and it was the it was the it was advertised as the first one ever on Raw. Is that the, that's the on, that's the famous match where uh, Devon or uh, Bubba Ray gets knocked out? Right. Yep. Yeah. Jericho bull. Yeah, Jericho gave him a, a face first bulldog off the top of the ladder, and it knocked him out silly. Um, yeah, there was a lot of things in, that went into uh, you know that that took place during that match. Crazy stuff, and. Um, it really kind of built Kane up as a dominant big man because, of mm -hmm. course, the Kane character was always in the shadow of The Undertaker. But Kane having a place on his own on Raw, winning the tag team titles by himself, they, at that time I believe they were building to him and Triple H. Yep. 
which Triple H would bury him. This would be the 20th year anniversary of Triple H burying talent. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the Katie, this, this started the Katie Vick storyline. Well, like, he was he was there. Intercontinental Champion and it was Intercontinental Champion against World Heavyweight Champion, and he just destroyed him. Yeah, and they wanted to merge the belts because they felt the Intercontinental did, which was one of the dumbest ideas ever, was to get rid of the Intercontinental title but then, and just have one singles male title. I but then Triple H shit dumb. on it. Triple H shit on the title and decided not to. And they were just like, well, Kane is still the champion, right? So, no, they, oh. they no, they they got rid of the belt for a few months and then they brought it oh, back that's like six right. months later. Yeah, yep. There you go. Austin brought it back as the general manager when Austin was the co GM of Raw. That's right. Off. That's right. That's right. Yep. But anyways, so you had that, the raw roulette and things that came across that and made the program almost like as Gerwitz would say, like a mini pay per view on Raw, which was kind of a cool theme, you know? Mm-hmm. Like to have which they talked about the Cyber Sunday and the Taboo Tuesday, awesome which is stuff. something I think, which, which 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 was ahead of its time if you think about it. Oh yeah. Nowadays, everyone is so internet driven and social media driven that it's a concept I think that would do well in today's wrestling if they were to do a special SmackDown episode where the fans vote on the matches and the stipulations via social media. You know, well, haven't, you, haven't TNA and and WWE since tried to do things like that via social media? Um, I don't recall. Uh, I thought they had like vote ins, but it, it, some something happened where it was like hacked by bots. So somebody would win an enormous amount because people would figure out how to have a, I don't honestly, I don't recall. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I'd have to look it up. I, uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I know that, um, God, I'm just trying to think when was the last time they did something like that. It's so long ago. I, the last one that I can recall they did was like raw in like 2010 did like a viewer's choice type of deal. It was similar to like the taboo Tuesday or the cyber Sunday where you vote on the matches. And that was the night that the Nexus debuted. Yeah. And where they like jumped John Cena, but they talked about the, 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 the cyber Sunday and the taboo Tuesdays, which I, like I said, I think it could work well in today's concept makes it more interactive, more um, organic and less overproduced. You know what I mean? Which, mm-hmm. which which is what you and I have talked about with today's product. It is so sanitized and so overproduced. They've become a victim of their own success that it's it's I, I, honestly I have not watched Raw and SmackDown in God knows how long. And guess what, I, Dave? You don't have to. Yeah, because it's all over social media. You could find out what happened. And then it's you it's there in compressed little bites, and then you miss all the bullshit that you see that's filler on the TV. It's literally a good chunk of the show is like fifteen to twenty minutes of entrances. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I would I would mind seeing like that voting concept come back with like social media. Like tonight, Roman Reigns is going to defend the Universal Title against. A, B, C, or D. You go vote now on Twitter. Blah blah blah. By the, you know what I mean? Like, and you have like fun. you have like a five-hour window rather than a day. Like, just get people hooked to the program. Yeah, you know, or yeah, like okay. a twelve-hour period. Yeah, I'm, or like you could just you you could you could hype up who the candidates are, or like you build to it like a week like a week in advance. Like, all right, we're gonna have qualifying. Now. All right, all right. You need to stop because now we're giving them a bunch of ideas. 
Okay. All right. Never mind. I'll, I'll stop. Yeah, let's get back on track here. I went off the rails a little bit. Good idea. So, then so they, then there was- more innovations like uh, the War Chamber, which was really like a, a well-thought-out, advanced version of War Games. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or not War Chamber, Chamber, the Elimination Chamber. The yeah. They're staples. I mean, now they've become their own pay-per-views, which isn't a bad thing. Although, I liked when Money in the Bank was a part of WrestleMania. Me personally, mm-hmm. I think I think it made WrestleMania a little bit more special where you had that type of a match. But Money in the Bank has been has become its own standalone pay per view, and it does pretty well. It's it's all it's to me Money in the Bank is more exciting than Survivor Series. You know when when I watch because the those matches mean something. You know this is the Money in the Bank matches now that they've turned it into its own pay per view. Same thing with the Chamber matches when they. They, they add stakes to them, whether it's a shot at WrestleMania or it's for the title and the winner faces this person at WrestleMania, et cetera. Like those, those all started in the elimination era. I'm sorry, in, in the ruthless aggression era. There's one thing that had me cracking up. And I don't know if you noticed it, hmm. uh, but they were showing the, um, the behind the scenes footage of the, the, the competitors from the first elimination chamber in the garden, the day of survivor series, like Sean Kane, Hunter, Booker T, those guys, Jericho. And you see Hunter and Booker kind of sitting in the same row next to each other. And all of a sudden you hear Booker T go, somebody's going to get fucked up tonight. And he's staring <laughs> right at Hunter. <laughs> Holy shit. And Hunter like, doesn't even say anything. He doesn't have this, like, there's no look on his face, nothing. But just Booker with this dead-ass stare is like, somebody going to get fucked up tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. And I trip- it back. It's like, I, it, it almost felt like he was directing that at Hunter. Like, like you're going to be the one that's going to get fucked up. Triple then, H is like, I'm just going to bury you at WrestleMania. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to, we're going to. We're going to make you play the race card, and I'm going to win. I'm going to win, boy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I, I do like the Innovations um, episode, but at at the same time, it's just they were putting putting more, uh, uh, you know, they were innovating older ideas is what I'm trying to say. So the latter match, they added more people to it and a briefcase and a contract, you know? Um, the, the, instead of war games, it's an eliminate, an elimination chamber with singles competitors rather than a team, um, which I really, I do like, but what are your thoughts on doing that every year, every time around the same year? Don't you think it should be more organic of a match and not have a pay-per-view named after the event where you have to do it every time around that time? Um, what are you talking about for Chamber and Money in the Bank? Yes. So, like I said to you earlier, Money in the Bank, I liked it when it was an annual thing at WrestleMania because it, it, it not only gave some guys a spot in the card in an important match on, on the WrestleMania card, but it, it added more to the WrestleMania event. You know, kind of like when they do the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, even though it doesn't mean shit anymore. After the first year, it didn't mean anything. Um, so... I, I liked it when the when the match was put on like you know WrestleMania. Although I don't mind it when it's a standalone pay per view. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. because if you think about it, WrestleMania sells itself. Okay, WrestleMania is WrestleMania. You put whatever matches on there, people are going to buy WrestleMania. Okay, or people are going to watch WrestleMania. So Money in the Bank 
has become such a popular concept that giving it its own standalone show and being the one night of the year where you can, you know, your, your career could change, et cetera, et cetera. It's similar to, hey, we got the Royal Rumble every year. I wholeheartedly could... agree at WrestleMania, though. What's that? I wholeheartedly agree, but only at WrestleMania, you know? What's that? Put the money in the bank, man? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, see, I'm, 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 I could go either way. I could keep it at WrestleMania or I could keep it as a standalone show. Because at least the difference between that and the Royal Rumble is that the Royal Rumble, it's once a year and someone goes on to get a title shot at WrestleMania. Whereas Money in the Bank, you win that and you can, you can pick any time you want to, to cash that in. True. So therefore... It could take a show like a a Night of Champions or uh, you know a Vengeance or whatever they put out and make it special with like a Money in the Bank cash in. Very you true. Know what I mean? Very true. So I go back and forth on that. The Chamber. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a problem with it being, especially now if you have a brand split. Like you do it after WrestleMania, and you kind of use it to like set in stone your 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 top title matches. You know whether it's a number one contenders and the winner faces this champ. I just I just personally don't like it now the way they have it set up directly before WrestleMania. You know if they if they move Chamber at another date, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Just like put that in, the fall, in October. Put that in October, not Hell in a Cell. You know. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're putting a hat, you're putting two different hats on that, like look the same with hell in the cell and elimination chamber. And at this point you kind of got to pick elimination chamber because hell in the cell has been done and that can be like for a singles feud, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hell in the, to me, hell in the cell doesn't need to be a regular pay-per-view anymore. I've exactly. said this for the longest time. That's a match that you design where you need to blow off a feud. You need to add something to a rivalry. And it doesn't need to be, a, you know, a, like I said, they, they have it as a standalone pay-per-view, but then they put Edge and Rollins in it in Saudi Arabia a month ago. Yeah. So, and it went on Crown Jewel. So, you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't think it's, and honestly, it's it's not like, and because it's, the Hell in the Cell is geared towards a singles rivalry where there's multiple combatants in an elimination chamber match. It's that could keep itself as a standalone show. Hell in the Cell, you put that where it's needed, not as a, not as a show that you have once a year and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll put these two guys in the cell. You know what I mean? Yeah. So or but, this tag team all of a sudden, it's like remember the year that when they did all Hell in the Cell matches. No, they only did like two or three, I think. Uh, it You're was, thinking it, of TNA with lockdown. Uh, no, but they did a hell. The first Hell in the Cell pay per view, they did a tag team match. They did at least like four on the same they did event. Three. Okay. All right. DX, DX versus Legacy, CM Punk versus Undertaker, and John Cena versus Randy Orton. Still too much for my liking. Yeah. There's yeah. There's way there's way too much in one show. But and the thing was that there was no individuality in each of those matches. Well, then if they did gonna, the same thing with Elimination Chamber. That's what I'm thinking of too, right? They did the tag team one, then they did the women's one, and then they did the men's one. They did right? two. They've oh. never done more than two okay. in a show. All right. Well, sorry. Two is enough then. Yeah. One one is enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't but know. I just it, I, it it doesn't it it it, it could be a standalone show because it's it could be something where yeah. there's. 
there's stakes up, you know, for grabs and it could mean something for a pay-per-view that, you know, for a time of year that's not related to WrestleMania or SummerSlam even for that matter. You know what I mean? I just stand true to uh, quality over quantity, but nonetheless, we are in the excess era now. Um, All right. Moving on. Season two, episode three, the first revolution. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, WWE, a lot of times, you know, they say the winners rewrite history and a lot of times, you know, they, 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 they repaint the narrative or rewrite the narrative, I should say, over and over again. But, you know, in this episode, you could make a strong case that that was the first ever women's revolution, or evolution, if you will, with names like Lita and Trish Stratus and Victoria and Jazz, and, you know, and, and Ivory. You know, a lot of those, a lot of those names, Mickey James, you know, a lot of those names, those they were good-looking women, but they also kicked ass. Yeah did they and, did they mention jazz or uh, uh, did they mention jazz or Jacqueline at all? Um, I don't know if they did or not. I'm just bringing those names up because those names come to mind for me. But, but I know that they they obviously mentioned Trisha Lita. Yeah, um, I mean of course. There, but yeah, there were so many workers around that time. Molly Holly too. Yeah, um, you know. Oh, yeah, they brought. Yeah, they mentioned her. They brought her up. Because yeah. she, 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 she cut her hair at WrestleMania just to get a spot in the card. Right. Which I thought was unbelievable. An unbelievable sacrifice that you, you're willing to, 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 to shave your head as a female in order to get a spot in WrestleMania. And yep. th- that was unreal. Unlike anything I've ever seen, you know? Um, yeah. And the match, the main event, I remember witnessing that live um, with Lita and Trish Stratus. Um mm-hmm. and and watching that with my fiance, she's she was like, oh my god, I remember like she, it was a big influence for her, Lita, especially being a Latina woman. Um, it was a big influence for her. Um, so that that was cool hearing that like, you know, second party exchange of like a common fan just being like, oh wow, I I know I I know both of them. You know, the only thing the only thing I take away from this episode is you know they talk a lot about how. The women, they worked hard. They had good matches. The stories were good. I mean, it wasn't like the stories were bad. You know, like their storylines were good. But where did it go wrong to the point where it turned into, you know, bubblegum bikini matches? You know what I mean? Uh, like It, it, it was, like, it was what, that like, way before. Was it? it was that way beforehand. And they tried to transition out of there. And for some reason or another around 03... Oh four, Vince was like, ah, "We're bringing them all back, the models." Actually, Johnny Ace got a job and started ho- hiring models again. Yeah, that's what that happened. Was, yeah, because they they speak so highly of it in the episode about the the hard work and what they brought to the product and the to the programming. But if it was so good, I mean, yeah, I know Trish retired, Lita retired. You know, you had Mickey there still. You had Victoria. But what was it because they felt like they didn't have enough big stars to 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 maintain a stronger women's division with, with the wrestling itself that they had to go to the model route where it's, you know, I, high candy and, you know, lollipops and all the other bullshit? I think like, it was... 
I think it was a way of riding the, uh, you know, the balance beam or the tightrope of uh, sexuality or should we actually go with this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they were... They, they weigh a lot of their options on what other routes of entertainment will do. And they've always done that, you know? Um, yeah. So it makes sense for them to kind of be like, well, we can give shades of this or that until we figure out what's the right avenue to go, you know? If that makes sense. That, that, it, Vince is very smart in that aspect. It usually takes him three years to build a star, and that's by him analyzing the... Uh, the uh, algorithmics or you know the the ways of how to book this person or what's going to get over or what's going to be popular at that time you know yeah yeah i mean i, I could see yeah i mean i, I could definitely see him kind of cherry picking different ideas and different concepts from other forms of entertainment and kind of molding it into his own and and that's why he kind of went that route but i don't know i just i, I still felt like there was enough depth on the women's roster that they could have kept the more serious route. But I do, I do believe that that was really like the first women's revolution, like where they really took the women's division seriously. Absolutely. You know, the, the only thing that, that, that I feel like is still the same today than it was back then in the ruthless aggression era was the only time the women wrestled was when it was for the title. There was no individual women's rivalry. You know, right. when, you know, like, like the same goes for the tag teams. The only time you see the tag teams wrestle each other is if they're fighting for the belts. Mm-hmm. There's no tag team rivalry about who's the best or whatever. It's just, all right, if a tag team's on TV, it's because they're wrestling for the belts. Right. And that's the same for the women that I feel. I feel the only time the women are wrestling is if it's for the belt. Yeah. Well, I think and that, that goes was the to case degrees in of 2002 during the ruthless aggression era. Well, I also think that goes to degrees of like how how you're going to book and stack the cards and they have so much money that they're like, well, let's stack our cruiserweight division with 30 guys rather than having 10. And they think having 10 is maybe too predictable or it might not work. out. I don't know what the deal is there, but you're, you're, it's just overload of everything. Excess. I mean, I get it if you need guys like kind of like on the bench ready to go in the event that like, you know, someone gets hurt there. There's, you know. I mean, sport, professional sports has that. You know, yeah. they have guys that, that sit the bench and don't play a lot, but they're there when they're needed. You know, there there needs but, to be those kind of talents in in wrestling. You know, as much sure, as but sucks. there does sure, but there doesn't need to be a show for that. Like I I can't tell you who the hell is the cruiserweight champion or who is the two hundred five cast. You know. Oh, I know. I just well, I know Roger Strong's the cruiserweight champion. I only know that because. I saw something on social media regarding NXT, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you're right. There is overload of things, you know, but they need to find a good balance between, you know, the, the having people ready to go in a moment's notice when something happens and not hiring so many talents because they don't want the competition to get a hold of them. You know what I mean? It's just, but in this case with the women, Coming from that episode, I think after Trish and Lita left, they didn't have an overload of, of, of top women stars. And that's where I feel like the shift kind of changed. Once Lita left, Mickey James was kind of like their top female. 
and that was about it. Then it just kind of turned into, you had Molina, who was good talent in the ring, but you didn't really have a whole lot of women that could go in the ring. And then that's, I think, where they kind of just went in that different direction, where they went back to the, the bikini matches. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, nonetheless, it, it was a well-done episode, though, and they, they, they picked up the faults, like you said, and they, they were... They're very open about most things. Um, moving on, season two, episode four, the resurrection resurrection of Shawn Michaels, Jack. <laughs> oh, what a ride! <laughs> you know it, and I know it. Yeah. Um, this this was a puff piece, if you will say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's not anything I haven't seen before regarding his return, but to me, looking back on 2002, because there was so much change, and I was a big Shawn Michaels guy, so being able to see him at least, if he just came back for that one match with Hunter, I'd have been, okay, great, he got that send-off, you know, because of the way he kind of went out against Austin at WrestleMania in 98 with the whole Mike Tyson angle. But it was nice to see him come back. I was a big fan of Sean. I'm, he's, still, he's, he's still in my top five all-time favorites. Um, so it was nice to see him come back and then be able to mix it up with the talents of that era, like the Kurt Angles, the John Cena's, the Randy Orton's, you know, re, you know having a more substantial rivalry with Triple H. You know, those were some, I mean, you could make a, you could make a a really strong argument that Shawn Michaels 2002 run till his retirement was better than his original. I think so. Because of all the guys he worked with and the, and the, the, the the content he put out. I think the actual, the actual psychology in the ring. I mean, yeah, John, uh, Shawn did some incredible moves in his first run and, there, but there just wasn't a consistency there. He was a low-drawing champion, and people overshadow that all the time by saying, oh, he was won the boyhood dream. Like He didn't really draw that well because he didn't put on clinics like he did when he returned. Well, it was like all of a sudden like, he was invigorated. Hold on. Let me, just, let me just stop you right there when it comes to that. The re- there's there's number of reasons why he was a low-drawing champion, okay? let's And I'm not saying this because I'm a Shawn Michaels guy, but let's let's let, let's you know bring it down to the brass tacks all right the wwf at that time in 1996 was in a, was in a transitional period they had lost hall and nash wcw had just you know created the nwo angle so Shawn michaels was in a, in a rough spot trying to pick up the pieces brett was gone for the the length of Shawn's run as champ okay and therefore sean didn't have a ton to work with Okay. Well, he Brett said he was going to do that to let him because Sean told him he didn't need him. So it was What's it was that? it was proof in the pudding. For me, Brett said Sean could couldn't hold the title by himself without him there, and they would work what? to a match again. And they never they like worked towards that feud that went towards Montreal Screwjob because they couldn't work together because Sean was getting frustrated because his title run kept running short and then he failed and then he gave up the belt. I'm going to I'm going to sit on this like all the way like he he didn't have the top dollar feuds 
minus the Sid thing where he was in his hometown. That was later. When he won the championship again, even during Austin, they weren't winning in the ratings until Austin won. You know? Um, but they were they were catching up. But here's the right. So let's kind of break that down for a minute here. When it, at least from my perspective, wrestling was in a weird place in ninety six. The WWF was transitioning and WCW was red hot. I mean Everyone was once Hulk Hogan turned heel. Everyone was watching that show. Yeah. I don't care what yeah. anyone says. Okay, yeah. you couldn't help it. All right, he came in during a. But at the same time, you want to talk classics? The Mankind match, Mind Games. Yes. Even the matches he had with Vader, Sid. Okay, those are some great matches. The his best matches during that run as champion weren't even televised. I'd hear stories that he had some bangers with. Steve Austin. And I'd hear that up. too. I wish we you could know? see those. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I just feel like wrestling was in such a weird place that, like, for instance, Brett was one of the lowest drawing champions ever. And wrestling was in a terrible place on yeah. all ends of the spectrum in 94 and 95. Okay. So, yeah. Were the ratings up when Sean was the champion? No, okay? But I think wrestling also wasn't in the greatest place either during that period of time. It was building and getting better and better when Brett came back and then when Austin was on the rise and he, he transformed into the megastar that he'd become. And yeah, they didn't but, start winning until eventually he became the champion. But we're really if, if we're going to go on that metric that, oh, well, Sean was a low-drawing champion because the ratings weren't good, I don't think that's fair to say. Is it is it is it funny that Okay, it's not fair to say. I'll agree. Is it funny, though, that WWF or WWE uh, started to become, like, to win the ratings and overpower everything once they got rid of Shawn Michaels and Brett? Um, well, I mean, Shawn's character in that time with DX was more edgier and was along the lines of, the, the direction they were going with their adult-oriented content. So, yes, but you could also manage your booking better. You can also have your talent interact better if there's not a prick behind the scenes. All I'm saying is the direction would have been drastically different had not Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart both not been part of the WWF, you know? Had they both been both, part of both, the WWF? Both been part of the WWF, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I did an episode on Kicking Out of Two last year, or maybe it was the year before. I don't remember. You can find the archives. What if Vince screwed Sean? You know, and Brett was the one that stayed. How different the WWF and wrestling as a whole would have been, you know? And what if Sean was the one that went to WCW and joined the NWO? You know what I mean? What kind of, what, what, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of success would he have had in WCW? How big would Austin's success have been in the WWF had Brett would have stayed? Yeah. You know? I mean... Would have been yeah, wild. Like, would have been wild. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. For sure. But Absolutely. without that, we wouldn't have had the Christian Shawn Michaels and that amazing run. I mean, like you said, that 2002 to then was really good. 2010, but, he retired. Well, no. 2002 when he returned... You, yeah, but 2010 uh, you, he retired. Yes, to that to that run, like that whole thing was good. There was some of the DX stuff I didn't really 
mind. Uh, I, I wasn't like, you know, the biggest fan of, but, uh, it was all right. yeah, but anything right. else by himself was pretty solid. Oh yeah. Even the match with Hogan, which yeah. is, which is marred in controversy. Yeah. Because of, because of the, 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 the politics behind the scenes. With and that, I, that I, f- is... I first saw it without the context. So I was like, Oh, that was fine. That was like a normal, like Hogan, Shawn Michaels match that I would expect, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then hearing the backstage stuff and how they didn't work with each other and Sean overselling, then I'm like, all right, maybe, I mean, you know, to me, that's, that, that's ego getting in the way. Um, but I think the over, what I took from that episode, even though most of that has been documented before in other, you know, documentaries and other pieces that the WWE has done, what I took from that was, it was not only important for Sean to come back and kind of have that final run, but it was also important for the building blocks of the, 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 the company during that era for their pillars, if you will, to work with Sean. The guys like Orton and Cena and Batista. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if they didn't have a Shawn Michaels to work with, or even Hunter to some degree, because <coughs> let's be honest, excuse me, Hunter's character, he was kind of on an island, you know, I wouldn't say an island unto himself, but Hunter always was in the mix with Austin and Undertaker and Rock. Well, Rock was gone. Undertaker was on another show with his biker character, and Rock was in the movies. So now we had to see what Hunter was made of, you know, as a top draw. And that's and- why I reformed DX. <laughs> Dude. And so Sean being there, yeah. working with him as a partner or working with him as a, an adversary really helped step up Hunter's game too as well, no pun intended. No, so absolutely. Sean's return served a lot of purposes during that ruthless aggression era. That's very cool. Um, I, I, I mean, he served a lot of purposes at this point. Um, Triple H had really, you know, he, he had almost around 2003 is when Stephanie and him get married. So he's almost annoyed in, into the family and becoming more in control, booking behind the scenes. Um, and he's got a lot to do and say throughout the last 20 years of uh, product for WWE. And it's kind yeah. of it's kind of interesting coming full circle right now and talking about the relevant NXT, where his place is now. You know, he had his cardiac event and, uh, you know, the... F- future looks kind of bleak as far as his creative control but you never know um as far as like what could happen next i know he's going to be on the uh the the the, a project called um like the future people type deal the future uh talent involved or the chosen ones type deal um where he's going to work with them in like just one-on-one um, but he did a great job with NXT and, uh, that's getting into our next episode evolving into, uh, season two, episode six or episode five, securing the future for ruthless aggression. This one was probably the most well thought out and detailed, um, episode out of the entire series was because it really told the story of the evolution of their developmental system and how it started from a ring in the warehouse in Stanford, Connecticut 
to Edge Christian, Kurt Angle, yeah, certain guys that we've like never the, seen train before. I want to see that footage, man. I want to see that footage so bad. Yeah, The Rock. The Rock started out there. You know, uh, Val Venus, Edge Christian, Kurt Angle, Mark Henry, um, Test. Could you, could you imagine seeing that stuff? What's that? Could you imagine seeing that footage at all? Like, I. It was even, the clips they showed was even pretty cool, you know. Wouldn't like, you watch? What, I would just binge watch like training sessions with The Rock and Mark Henry. Like those, were the, I mean, it, it was cool seeing those little clips. Like for instance, like they they talked about how the um, it got it got to be so enamoring to watch that the office staff on their lunch break would go watch these guys train That's in so the warehouse, cool. and it would be such a distraction that it's like then they had to move, and the. Eventually, it formed into Ohio Valley with Jim Cornette. And, of course, that's probably their most successful form of developmental that they've had in the company's history with the names that they've produced. Like I mentioned, you know, again, Cena, Batista, Ort, Brock, Shelton Benjamin. The list goes on and on, you know. Um, And uh, it was definitely, um, they peaked when it came to developmental when they went to OVW. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a lot of stuff there that, um, I I really, I really enjoyed this story because I was able to actually listen to the Jim Cornette's, uh, podcast earlier today and got some more insight into it. Um, and as much as some things I don't agree with Jim Cornette, I do agree with a lot of his, uh, psychology and booking aspects. And, uh, on the wrestling business, his take on it. He really believed in those guys and he knew that they were big stars and you could see it from day one. You're looking at the, uh, the old school footage of those guys. And yes, as remarkably striking as they look, that's part of the reason of wrestling. You know, you're not going to hire a shitty actor, uh, and cast him in big time roles. I mean, you can do that now. That's fun. But sure, but you know, you you stuck with a formula, and uh, those guys fit the mold, and then some. Uh, naturally talented, even more talented, and would give you more than the older guys back in the days of the early '90s or late '80s. Um, like the in-ring athleticism just stepped up, you know, so much. And uh, Jim Cornette saw that, and there was a lot of uh, to do with Danny Davis and Rip Rogers, which. They got like zero mentions in that episode, but uh, Rip Rogers was one of the big trainers there. Danny Davis was the uh, operator of the warehouse and housed everything and helped everybody out. And Jim Cornette was the creative mind behind it. And uh, those guys have their fingerprint on the business till this day, you know, because of all that. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at how much. I mean, they talked with Cornette, you know. Which... Well, that was taped three years ago. Oh, that was? Yes. Okay. So he I said they, they've been that. working on this like three years. Okay, but the Danny Davis stuff, I didn't expect. Um, I expected to hear from him more, but um, it was th- that piece was uh, regarding the OVW stuff designed to focus on Cena, Orton, Batista, and Brock, and that class that came that came through and you look at all the success that and those Sh- guys Shelton had. was Shelton was a big part of it but unfortunately yeah he was uh, kind of like the fifth, he was kind of like the fifth beetle yeah like but that's like, also because he he was black 
because uh, Vince just oh, doesn't. Oh, here we go. I'm just gonna say it. There's like there's a classic story where another black uh, person in the back asked the question to Vince. And he goes, "Excellent question, Shelton." Oh, I've heard that story before. Yeah. It was Michael Tarver. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I've heard that. I've heard that before. But if but if if but, if, but if, that doesn't mean that they that doesn't mean that they didn't they didn't see him. They didn't they, see him. But Jim Cornette had saw him, and OVW had put him over big. He was very big over there, and that's why the moment he launched into ROH and anywhere on the other scene of wrestling, he was over. I he, think that though, kind of like what about how like the the way the program has become so sanitized now, I think we, once they working with OV and they transitioning to Tampa and then eventually Orlando performance center. That's where we started to see the product coming more sanitized. And it was now just as they like to say, a cookie cutter factory, like with, with, with new talent coming through the system. Uh, you know, we, the original idea about performance center was designed based on the NFL, the, um, the training camp, giants football giants and for their center. Uh, I guess like a tour of it and all these things wanted to implement the Paul, center. Paul, pause for a second. Can you hold on for one second? I'm getting the t- most terrible feedback. Can you talk for one second? Yeah. Okay. You good? Yeah, it it was breaking up really bad. Sorry, go ahead to the uh, okay. New York Giants. Uh, yeah, so Hunter had had taken the tour of the Giants training facility in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and he saw things from that. And that's how it kind of incorporated into the Performance Center in Orlando. But I think OVW was the last place when it came to developmental where the talents not only learned how to be, be more creative, but really find themselves as a character. And that's what got them noticed by the main roster. We're supposed to, once the guys made it to Tampa and then eventually Orlando, they almost like built a wrestler, if you will, in their mm-hmm. own vision, you know, instead of kind of taking something that you created and, kind of incorporating it into their vision they've just they just kind of wiped the slate clean with the majority of talents that they go through the performance center now and they try to build a vision with them if you will with the exception of course of some of the indie talents that hunter had signed in the last couple of years to to, to build nxt um but for the most part it's become very sanitized but ovw was the last place where you could go and reinvent yourself or create yourself and that translate to main roster programming nowadays that doesn't happen yeah there's there's been some some people in nxt that have excelled but most of the time they've they've worked for other companies beforehand yeah you could even say the first uh nxt champion uh tyler black seth rollins i mean he came from roh with jim Cornette on jim Cornette's last run so uh, even Roddick Strong right now, um, you're looking at a lot of like a, a time where what's going to happen with WWE if they can't produce these stars um, and, you know, they keep introducing characters that don't want to be or people, they keep introducing people 
into this company that aren't really there to actually be wrestlers full time. They're there for like a three to four year, five year run. How can you build somebody through that time period, you know, and make longevity through those stars? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously the system's a little bit different today. I think, I think, to me personally, I feel like it always at the end of the day it always starts at the top with Vince, and he wants right now instead of tomorrow, you know. And I think with this rebranding of this new NXT, they're they're trying to go back to that OVW type formula, looking for bigger guys and not so much and younger too, not guys that have been established on the indies for you know five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of going back to those basics, but at the same time incorporating the same method of character development um, that they had, it's, that they established in the performance center by just kind of wiping the slate clean and building you, if you will, as, yeah. as a as a character. Which I don't think is I don't think is necessarily the the greatest idea because I think you need the talent's input as to who they are and and, and what they present on television. Um, and I don't think we get enough of that these days. No, you're absolutely right. And if, if it is, it's, it's totally non-organic and it's just like somebody wrote like something for like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just God awful. Yeah. Um, anything else from this episode before we get into the special goodbye segment? Oh, we're doing a special goodbye segment. Oh, Uh I got a surprise for you, Jack. Oh boy. Okay. It's it's um, it's no, it's mean, in the form of an egg. It's gonna hatch soon. Okay. Um, I I thought overall this season was better produced than the first one, and each episode was definitely like a building block and a pillar of that era. Even with the exception of the Rock Hollywood heel, because that was such a short lived moment. But um, overall, like it definitely embodied what the ruthless aggression era represented, and I I really enjoyed it. It was it was very well done. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's uh, let's do these last uh, hurrah segments. Um, Dave, do you have any final one and dones for the week? Like anything from the recent uh, wrestling that you've watched uh, that that is good or bad? Just one point about it, uh, your your like or dislike in your opinion and be done. I'll be honest with you. I didn't get a chance to watch any wrestling this week. Uh, but in most recent memory, I will say that um, I'm digging the, uh, the 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 Brian Danielson heel run in AEW as they build towards him and Adam Page for the title. Uh, cool. Him kind of going through all the Dark Order. Um, I'm 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 enjoying it and 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 his run so far. The one thing I don't like that they are doing is. CM Punk's rivalries have been like one and done rivalries. Like I wanted to see more of him and Eddie Kingston uh, after Full Gear, and they pivoted to him and MJF. And I wanted to see more of MJF and Darby Allen, and they just kind of—I almost feel like they're—they're they're getting all this stuff out of the way because maybe Punk doesn't have a whole lot of time in the ring. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's that's working out. I thought like there would be like a longer feud with Taz's group and stable yep. with and you know like a lot of stuff with uh, Darby Allen and you could you could like you know enhance that story. I mean, maybe they they'll trail back to it to where Darby Allen and CM Punk and Sting team up against at the Pinnacle, you know? 
Yeah, uh, maybe. You, you can work that into there depending on who they, they end up working with. But I am absolutely loving Daniel Bryan's uh, heel turn, man. This is so good. Um, my one and done is the, the lack of uh, thought put behind Adam Cole right now. He's just like he he's just another card in the game and they're they're kind of going towards maybe the undisputed era could be a thing because I know uh Kyle O'Reilly uh rumors that he might not resign for NXT. Yeah. So, that could be interesting if they do it right, but for me, they have not done Adam Cole justice at all with him yeah. coming over. Yeah, he's kind of floundered. I would say, you know, I mean, he's there, but then he's not, you know, like he was, you, the way you presented him, you know, in his debut as being a big deal. I don't know. It, 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 to me, it, it rings true to some of the statements like guys like Eric Bischoff and even Jim Cornette have said regarding AEW, maybe signing too many guys, you know, that there's, we've talked about that. We've talked about that plenty. Yeah. And we've even discussed it too. You know, like I, I, Brian Danielson's had a great presentation on television in his matches and his promos and the stories he's been involved in. But Adam Cole, to me, is just another member of the elite. There's nothing special about him. Whereas, at least when he was in NXT, he was a focal point. Now there's way too many guys for, for, for Adam Cole to get a piece of the pie. Uh, but, you know, maybe that will come with time. You know, it seems like... They have this. They have a tendency, at least AEW, to kind of like rotate guys in and out in the spotlight, if you will. At one point, Miro had a, a, a sizable role on TV. Now he hasn't been on TV as much. You know, maybe that's just part of their whole. They work these guys part time, and they have them come in, do something, and they take a little time off, then they come back, etc. So I don't know. We'll see. But I, I don't think that he'll. This will last forever. Let's put it that way. They're obviously leading to something with him and Omega. Yeah. Based off of that promo that yeah. Omega cut when he left. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it all turns out. Yeah. Looks like it could be a, a, a on the verge of a split. Okay. And then the final uh, recently introduced uh, This Day in History. This Day in History, December 6th. Uh, Larry Zabisco celebrates his 70th birthday. And Nick Bockwinkle would have celebrated his 87th birthday. Any thoughts on those guys? Nick Bockwinkle um, and Larry Zabisco. Zabisco, um, obviously he was, you know, infamous for the run he had with Bruno San Martino in the WWF. Um, Probably his him. one most famous angle where he's his protege. Yep. And, yeah. uh, you know, Bruno doesn't want to wrestle him, but he's not going to hurt him. But he, he puts him away. And then finally, Larry turns on him and turns heel like a ch- chicken shit heel. And yep. uh, it, it becomes this spawn of this, 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 you know, this. That was a great angle, man. Even yeah. watching it now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I like, I mean, Zabisco overall, solid performer. Um, I like the stuff he did in the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, and the I crusher. Felt like that, that, I felt like that run, which we kind of discussed on, where well, we didn't kind of discuss, we did discuss it on season one of Market Out the Days when we covered WCW Saturday Night. Um, I thought that was a little short-lived, but I thought that stuff was pretty good. The tag team he had with Arn Anderson as the enforcers uh, with, for the World Tag Team Championship, I thought that was solid. Um, and then Nick Bockwinkle, Nick Bockwinkle, I feel, 
was a very underrated performer. Uh, he was he was like a toned down version of Ric Flair. You know, classy, great in the ring. He was the uh, original Ric Flair that wasn't a heel. Um, yeah. He, he was a babyface. He was on the Hollywood Squares in 1968. He was one of the most famous wrestlers recognized, compared next to Bruno San Martino, who, uh, you know, protege was Larry Zbysko, which, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's wild. And those guys share the same birthday. Yeah. Um, but but if you go back and uh, you look at Chris Jericho's 2008 uh, run where he like wore the suit and he spoke quietly and used big words. He took a lot of that from Nick Bockwinkle's promos because Bockwinkle, you know, used to carry himself. He didn't yell and scream and rant and rave, but you know, he he spoke to you very articulately and he got his point across and it meant something. So go back and watch some Nick Bockwinkle promos um, and even the stuff he did with Hogan in the late in the in the, in the well, early eighties yeah. before Hogan joined the WWF. He with becomes Bobby Heenan as manager. Great stuff. Yeah, he finally he finally turns heel after all this time, and it was like he was always known to he should have been a heel, but he was a babyface. He was a slick, you know, talking like handsome guy, and then for him to become that character, almost like you say, reminiscent of Chris Jericho in two thousand and eight, and it was like, oh man, this is amazing, um, it, it, truly inspiring. Watch Nick Bockwinkel through seventy five and eighty three. Um, it's some great stuff. Um, that has been the final this day in history. Maybe we'll bring it back up on the new marking out the days, but we'll see how that goes. Um, Dave, have you listened to any other podcast? The last thing I want to, I want to give you a insight in while we're on this show. And I want to talk with fans about listen to Freddie Prince jr's podcast. Have you heard about it? No, but I just, I just, if you're referring to the quotes about his time in WWE as a writer, yes. recently we talked about his uh, his issues with Hunter. Well, well, I was able to listen to the first three episodes that have been released of his podcast. That's all that I've I'm available and privy to see, um, and it's 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 very insightful. It's one of the most insightful podcasts I've heard about wrestling and the business of works within the WWE. I mean, minus Bruce Pritchard, he talks about a lot of stuff, but you know, he's kind of like on the, on the, you know, on the, on the bench already. This is coming from like an outsider's perspective, a true fan. If you ever wanted to write wrestling, if you could write, if you were part, or, you know, a fan of the entertainment business, um, or if, if, if you, if you were, a you know, a loaded kid, the son of a famous Puerto Rican comedian or half Puerto Rican comedian, like he is, uh, you, you know, you might be able to get into that business, but even then it's closed off. It's so like, it's so good. You need to listen to it. There's so much, uh, insight into like ribbing him. He wanted to do an acting class. So they told him to go to this room at an arena set up and it turned out to be like a little closet. And the only person that showed up was Sean Spears and, uh, Sean Spears had to let him know what a rib was. Um, it, it, it's pretty interesting and they're trying to grind him down the whole way, but all he's talking about is trying to write really good stuff for the people. Um, and he was involved with, uh, the undertaker and Jeff Hardy 
um, feud in 2007 and 8 era. And as well as as writing for Brian Kendrick uh, during the scramble match. And he talks a lot about uh, Michael P.S. Hayes and Bruce Pritchard, giving him a lot of insight. Um, so it, it is it is very interesting. Sounds like I don't need to listen to it since you just told me everything he said. Well, I, I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just summarizing what he's saying. Um, I know, but Relax. yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, listen to those stories, man. I, I, I'm I usually don't plug other podcasts, but this is something I was like hooked after the first twenty minutes. I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and it just gets really good. He does an interview with uh, Xavier Woods as well, so that that it's really cool. Um, okay, if I got time, I'll try to check it out. Yeah, I mean, I, even my podcast listening is is very few and far between with the life I have going on. So. Um, last podcast I think I listened to was uh, where I listened Retromania, to, uh, Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I did listen to uh, one of our episodes recently. Um, but uh, Jeff, one of Jeff Jarrett's podcasts, I Very think it was cool. when he when he joined uh, WCW when Vince Russo was was booking. So cool. I still um, I still haven't caught that podcast, but I'll get into it. You ain't missing much. Yeah, once 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 it stuff. ends once it ends in a year, you know. Or yeah. six months. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, I appreciate this a lot. Um, you know, catching up has been fun with you. This this pandemic era, um, and we created this show, and we had a lot to do. You know, uh, we, you know, now we're kind of in a different groove, and I think the next year we have a focus, one central focus. So I, I'm really, I'm really happy, um, and. Uh, psyched for the next year of retromania same man same we're gonna cover 1997 and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun looking forward to it absolutely dave thank you uh let everybody know where we can find you and uh we'll sign off you can always write to us at retromania podcast at gmail.com you can join the facebook group over at retromania with a w and join in the actual like facebook group 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 uh, where you can write to us directly and request and see polls and stuff for the following year that's going to be big for us, the 25th anniversary of 1997. And as always, you can find all the shows and archives on any podcasting app by searching Retromania with a W. Dave? Yeah, uh, you can find us on Kicking Out at 2 on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at 2. You can also find us. Uh, like I said, on Twitter, our handle is at KickinOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two archive shows available on Retromania by searching uh, Retromania with W on Podbean. And, uh, yeah, we have all kinds of you know fun stuff. I haven't been active on social media that much because a, a lot has changed in the last several months. Um, so I'm trying to get a little bit of social media activity back um, on the Kicking Out of Two page on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, find us there pictures links to archive shows I uh, try to do some discussions and things like that so hopefully 1990s you know when we cover a lot of 1997 um, that I'll have a little bit more activity on the social media regarding that and you guys could all be a part of it too so find us over there like Facebook follow on Twitter all right see you guys thank you, thank you.